Colonial virus is why I can't live. Colonial virus is why I can't breathe. Colonial virus, yo, that thing gotta go. We don't wanna have to deal with this virus no more. Welcome to the People's War Radio Show. I'm Dr. Matsumela Odom. And I'm Mwambi Tongu. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24-7. Africans have made a massive cry for justice following the murder of George Floyd on May 25, 2020. This led to a worldwide movement that has seen protests in more than 2,000 cities in all 50 states in the United States and over 600 countries globally. This resistance has occurred amidst the COVID-19 pandemic that has continued to ravage African, indigenous, and other colonized communities for the past year. Africans in jails and prisons throughout the U.S. have borne the brunt of this pandemic and been left to die. There are over one million Africans in prisons and jails in the United States today. Since the 1970s, there has been a more than 500% increase in the prison population, a trend that was exacerbated by the 1994 crime bill, altered by then-Senator Joseph Biden, which put over 100,000 new cops on the streets, created new crimes, and fed the situation where African people are more likely to be stopped, face discriminatory prosecutions, and get handed much harsher sentences. The state of Florida is notorious as a leader in this genocidal trend, leading in incarceration, the death penalty, and the murder of Africans by police and white civilians. Recent news from Broward County, Florida, underscores these contradictions. Africans are often killed in custody of police without any consequence. On January 17, 2021, an African by the name of Kevin Levere Desir died while in the custody of the Broward County Sheriff's Department. In the same way Sandra Bland was blamed for her own death, Kevin Desir was blamed for his own death as well. Today to discuss this with us, we have legal assistant and community organizer, Life Malcolm from Tampa, Florida. Uhuru, Life. Uhuru, comrades. So, Life, we have read reports about the killing of Kevin Desir in the Broward County Jail. Before we get into the particulars of his case, can you let us know who he was? I absolutely can, comrades. Kevin was a 43-year-old man. Uh, African man who loved his family. He was one of four, one of five brothers, one of five boys. He had four brothers uh, and he had two little girls. He loved his family. You can see videos of Kevin uh, playing with his children, uh, you know, they, on a swing set. I mean, Kevin was 43 years old. He's on a swing set, uh, swinging with his uh, little girls. And you see him hanging out with his brothers uh, on, on the beach uh, and, you know, on occasions where he's got the rare suits and, you know, so, I mean, whatever it was, he was always there with his family. Um, he was he was also, uh, at the time, Broward County Sheriff's killed him, was uh, suffering with a mental illness that had been exacerbated by the recent death of his father. So um, he was a he was like a human being who really loved uh, his family, loved being alive and, uh, and, and despite having mental illness, was uh, fully functional. Uhuru life. Um, I understand Uhuru. that there have been several encounters with the law enforcement leading up to his death behind bars. 
Can you give us some background of Kevin DeSears' relationship with the police? Well, Kevin, you know, like most Africans, uh, certainly in the uh, poor communities, working class communities, was no stranger to law enforcement. Uh, I think the most important thing to know about this particular uh, circumstance that uh, uh, regarding his killing in Broward County's sheriff's office, uh, Broward County's uh, jail, is that uh, Kevin had recently been arrested for like some kind of criminal mischief, uh, uh, you know, allegedly breaking out tail lights in a in a car or something like that. And the reason why that's an important point is because Broward County Sheriff's uh, at that you know from that encounter from that arrest was aware of Kevin's mental uh, mental health disorder. Kevin suffered from bipolarism uh, and and some other disorders that are were listed as. Um, uh, un, un, undefined, so to speak. Uh, but, he, you know, Broward County Sheriff's Office had the responsibility to know that when they take inmates in, they have a process where they're supposed to, dis, you know, discover that and, and treat those uh, people with mental uh, health issues uh, with with a, a special particular uh, uh, particulars. And so uh, uh, this didn't happen in Kevin's case, which is a main thing, because just, uh, you know, a couple of weeks later, they arrest Kevin for uh they say he was tailgating and everybody i don't know if you've ever been to miami but everybody tailgates there and so uh they they supposedly pulled him over for tailgating and then uh although kevin had a medical marijuana card meaning that here in florida you can have medical marijuana and uh the the state of florida will sanction that possession of marijuana by giving you a card even though kevin has such a card the the state in the form of broward county sheriff's office arrested kevin for possessing marijuana and uh completely ignoring what they should have known about his mental history uh treated him uh, poorly and uh ended up killing him oh yeah thanks for that Nauru. as you stated kevin was suffering from mental health issues we know one out of four people killed by police have suffered from mental and emotional crises. We also know that the rate is drastically higher for African people. We can look at cases such as Walter Wallace in Philadelphia more recently, Alfred Olongo in California as examples of the state's response to Africans with mental health crises. Can you explain how Kevin might have been targeted by uh, the sheriffs because of this mental health issues? Well, comrade, you know, if, if, if we were going to be frank about it, every African in the United States of America and every other place where we're colonized around the world uh, uh, going to suffer some kind of mental illness, uh, whether it comes from the kind of phenomenon France Fanon spoke about, the black skin and white masks kind of duality, uh, duality we have to live in, or whether it's a more passive kind of... Uh, uh, mental suppression uh, that that Baldwin spoke about, you know, uh, you know, I am not your Negro. Just constantly being confronted with this, uh, you know, this this uh, oppression that we see all the time, whether it's on television, like the the murders you mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show. We see people like ourselves all the time being killed by people like the people who captured Kevin in the form of Broward County Sheriff's Office. And so, um, you know, I don't know if they targeted. 
you know, I don't know that there's a difference between targeting an African in America and targeting somebody uh, with a mental illness, you know, because if you're African in America, you probably got something, uh, that, you know, because this thing can make you crazy. Colonialism can make you crazy. Um, but I do know for a fact they targeted Kevin because he was black, because he was an African. And they treated him the way he did because he was black, because he's an because he was an African. And I'm, I'm sure of those two things. And I, I don't know if they cared. I mean, obviously, they didn't care what was on his mind. Uh, I, I can't tell you this, though. Uh, Broward County uh, Sheriff's Office has a history of uh, of killing and uh, severely injuring, brutalizing people in their custody who uh, have mental illnesses. And if you want, we could talk about that, uh, you know, a little more you know, throughout the program. But, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, can you go a little bit further into this? Because one of the things that we do know is that France Fanon uh, argues that, uh, you know, when colonial oppression is high, uh, mental illness is high. But when revolution is high, uh, mental illness in the African community and the colonized communities of the world uh, uh, is low. So, so, so just like you said, I mean, we know that it's a natural byproduct of colonialism, but us fighting for our uh, liberation um, is the uh, uh, catharsis that uh, France Fanon uh, uh, talks about. That uh, uh, the, the 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 healing uh, mechanism uh, and things like that. So oftentimes the resistance. Some people call it when you see the resistance. Some people call it going crazy. I right. call it going sane. Right, right. I call it going sane. You know what I mean? We right see. On going crazy when you're walking around and you're like, if I just work even harder and this is all me, you know, it's, it's, I can't blame anyone but myself. That's going crazy. Right on. You know what I'm saying? And and, and that's what he actually outlines. If you look at that other, uh, basically if you place black skin, white mask with wretched of the earth together, you basically get the craziness is when uh, the African is thinking that if they just be more like the European, right. Uh, 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 they're going to get ahead, right? The sanity uh, is 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 responding uh, uh, um, uh, to, uh, uh, to that, um, you know. So 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 what we see is the natural response uh, 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 to the insane world of colonialism that uh, the unnatural conditions that we're forced to live under. So what you think about that? That's that's right on, comrade Uhuru. Uh, you know, it reminds me of this. Uh, 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 this this white guy, uh, Samuel Adolphus Cartwright, uh, he was a physician in the in the 19th century, the I think mid to late 19th century, and he's the guy who came up with this diagnosis called diesthesia ethiopica, and uh, that, <laughs> that he he said he was a medical doctor now, and he said that uh, when Africans were lazy, in other words, didn't want to work for the slave master, it was because they had this condition that resulted from a thickening of the skin, and uh, what you had to do in order to uh, uh, relieve the African of this condition was lather his back with warm, soapy water and then beat the uh, the soapy water or the warm oil, whichever, uh, into the African's back until it tenderized the skin and then the African would want to work. This was a medical diagnosis. Uh, he's the same guy who came up with uh, that thing, uh, drapedomania, that if you run right, from right. the slave Dra- master, yeah, yeah. if you run from the slave master, uh, you, you know, there's something wrong with you. And so uh, we can see that that, uh, that, 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 that thing started in the 19th century. France Fanon picked up on it uh, in the early 21st century, or mid-21st century. And here, 
you have uh, right now today uh, in the, the late 21st century, um, even the late 20th century, probably in the early 21st century, people talking about stuff like uh, uh, ADD. Uh, you know, if you don't act like they think you should act, you got something. But they can't tell you how you got it, where it came from. Uh, but it's something wrong with you if you don't act like they think you should act. And so we see that this kind of diagnosis of uh, something mentally wrong with us has pervaded our experience here in this country. And um, not notwithstanding the fact that this stuff can make you crazy, colonialism always having to play, uh, you know, play to white people's passions can make you crazy. Uh, uh, the reality is a lot of times what they call crazy just ain't crazy. I think I agree with you, uh, comrade. It's going insane. And uh, yeah, I like that. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today is Life Malcolm. Who Life? Broward, Broward County, like all other colonial territories, has a history of violence and police containment among Africans. Can you speak about the history of the struggle against violence against Africans in Broward? Well, not really. I, I can't speak too much about that because I'm I'm from a, a very violent territory called Tampa. That's just about 300 miles north of Broward. Um, so my familiarity with uh, the the history of Broward is a very uh, broad history. I, I've really started paying attention to the specific stuff uh, Broward County does to Africans once I got involved with uh, Kevin's case. Um, uh, and it's, but I'm, you know, Broward County is not unlike the place where I live called Tampa and, you know, where, I don't know if you may recall that Tampa was, uh, known for this thing called biking while black, where they would pull Africans over for riding on a bicycle. You know, if you didn't have a light on your bicycle or a license plate on your bicycle or something like that. And, and, uh, it turned out that this place, Tampa, was uh, uh, responsible for pulling over uh, more bicycles than Orlando, Jacksonville, and uh, I want to say it was Miami uh, combined. You know, um, so this place, you know, this this particularly brutal place where I live has kept my attention on uh, on, on this town. But but Broward has a history of certainly uh, mistreating mentally ill people that. I've uh, learned about since getting involved in Kevin's case. Um, and yeah, so they, you know, uh, they, but they, the, the brutality, like, for example, they, they beat this one woman uh, in jail. She had some mental problems. They beat her, they say on video, uh, punched her like 13 times and pushed her down. You know, this is a, a woman, you know, uh, and uh, uh, there's another guy, Joseph Williams, who who died while in their custody, and um, you know, there's just this history of Broward County sheriffs being particularly brutal uh, uh, to to inmates who have mentally uh, mentally so-called mental disorders. Um, but the, but when I look at those things, they don't look any different than uh, the way the colonizer behaves, especially the colonizers in the form of police behave anywhere else we are in the world. Well, can you deepen that for us just a little bit more then and let us know about the history of colonial violence against Africans uh, in Florida and also maybe some ways that the African tradition of resistance uh, has fought against it? Well, so I, I I like to say that 
the state of Florida precisely because of Chairman O'Malley Yishitela, the African People's Socialist Party and the Uhuru movement uh, is a, 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 a bulwark in this this resistance uh, against colonialism. So we we have a great uh, a great history of resistance, at least for the past uh, almost fifty years. Uh, you know, more than forty years. We have a strong history of resistance here, but that strong history of resistance, of course, was brought about because of the strong history of colonial violence. Um, Tampa, for example, uh, you know, had this 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 uh, rebellion and. Uh, I wasn't alive back then, but I've heard the history. Uh, when they killed this brother named Martin Chambers, I think it was like 1967. And so uh, the police uh, shot this young man in the back and uh, uh, killed him. And so the, the city of Tampa you know, went into this serious rebellion that caused uh, people to lose a lot of money and businesses and changed the trajectory of Tampa because it split uh, African community in Tampa between the uh, the middle so-called African middle class, African petty bourgeoisie, and the African workers, and so uh, now in Tampa you have this situation where there are African workers not only fighting against the bandits with badges, but fighting against bandits without badges who happen to look like us, and so um, uh, you. <laughs> So some examples, man, like uh, we have a police chief, well, had a police chief who was now mayor named uh, Jane Castor, who was responsible for that biking while black thing I was telling you about. It was all the, the I might have failed to make it clear that all of those bicycle stops, uh, you know, the majority of them, the high, the high percentage of them were African people. And so she created this kind of culture where it was uh, a them against us kind of thing. You can't even go to a Martin Luther King Jr. parade without uh, having to stand next to a police horse or a police tank or a police, uh, you know, on a motorcycle or something like that. You know, uh, uh, right here in this city, uh, African women, would try to organize and play kickball. You know, African women who happened to live in housing projects. So they had, uh, you know, a housing project team uh, with a league, a uh, housing project with a league and another, not, not a league, because I mean, it wasn't a league. It was just, you know, a group getting together. They tried to make it a league and make it illegal. So, but they had a team. Housing project had a team. Another housing project had a team. These Africans organized this, this beautiful situation where they would move from public park to public park, play ball. People would come out and watch. There was commerce, African people trading with each other, you know, f- you know uh, food. Uh, uh, drinks, what have you, man, just having a good time, no violence, no issues, but the police would show up with those same damn horses and, and air guns, and and uh, if, as soon as the sun began to go down, because in Tampa, you can't stay in the park after dark unless you're white, and so uh, as soon as the sun would begin to go down, they would get these paint pellet guns, whatever they call it, and start shooting at these women uh, uh, and the children who are around and other innocent uh, Africans just there having a good time. That that was that was the leadership of this mayor um, uh, that that's in the seat right now. But then we had this uh, <laughs> this brother named Dante Morris who on uh, June 29th, two thousand ten raised up on him, and uh, they tried to pull him over for a, a, a tag or something like that. Uh, I don't know if they still do that now, but they uh, they pulled this brother over for a tag, and he he sent two of the police home, you know, permanently home, and. Uh, 
And, you know, the, the, the response to that uh, to, to that victory by that brother, by Jane Castor and uh, her police soldiers, uh, again, uh, uh, quieted the, the many Africans in the city and split the uh, the, the community between the the petty bourgeoisie and the African working class who are willing to work and struggle. And so now um, since this period of last summer's great rebellions the, you know that you mentioned at the beginning of the show uh the african working class uh is 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 clearly rising to the top uh of of that of that uh scale uh yeah and so uh, the resistance is 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 thick here but that's because the violence is thick here and um you know there there those are just a few examples of you know how how brutal this city can be um i'm sure there are countless others you know Uhuru, Uhuru life. Um, I really, really appreciate that analysis. Um, let's talk about what happened to Kevin. I understand that there are still legal proceedings and you're limited in what you can say, but can you tell us about his murder behind enemy lines, behind bars? So um, I can tell you that you're right. You know, I'm very limited. I have to be very careful with, with what I say. Um, and I, I know more than I can say. Let me say that. Uh, just, you know, just please, I want the audience to know that I know more than what I can say. As a matter of fact, um, it might uh, might be prudent to say that there's a video of Kevin's murder and uh, Kevin's family and Kevin's uh, lawyers, Kevin's family's lawyers. Uh, the court granted us the ability to watch the video. I've seen the video, but I cannot talk about the video. I will say this, that when you read articles about what happened to Kevin Desir, uh, there are claims that the Broward County Sheriff's Office makes that is not supported uh, by any evidence. You know, we're not even going to talk about the video anymore. I just said what I had to say about that. But there's no data side. There is no evidence that uh, corresponds with what it is the Broward County Sheriff's Office say. For example, they claim that Kevin, the reason why they stormed in on Kevin and attacked him while he was in an isolated cell was because Kevin was doing harm to himself. At the beginning of the program, I spoke about how much Kevin loved his family, how much Kevin uh, loved you know, people in general, and uh, he, he loved himself. He, he wasn't the type of guy uh, to, to self-harm by all accounts. And um, uh, his brother, uh, one of his brothers, Mike Desir, uh, went to visit Kevin in the hospital because Kevin was left alive for 10 days on a breathing machine, uh, although he was brain dead and likely not going to survive. Just, uh, you know, the family took some time to to, to uh, get get themselves prepared for that reality. And so he was alive for 10 days, you know, uh, uh, in the hospital. And his brother went to visit him on more than one occasion and took pictures. And there, there are no indications uh, on Kevin's body that he had uh, cut himself at all, let alone cut himself so much he was bleeding and looked like he needed to be rescued by the people who ended up killing him. Um, uh, I can tell you that the police in their reports and their narrative, they do not mention that they tasered uh, Kevin. Uh, They do not mention that they pepper sprayed Kevin. However, there are people inside the Broward County Jail who, who, who know uh, the Desir family and told them straight up that 
that Kevin was pepper sprayed, <laughs> that Kevin was tasered, and all of this happened before he was put in this restraint chair where he ultimately died. I can tell you that uh, they don't mention that there was a, a physical altercation. They mentioned that Kevin was uh, cutting himself and then he became combative, but they don't mention <laughs> that, uh, that, that he was fighting uh, uh, he was defending himself against the brutality that the Broward County Sheriff's Office brought to him. And mind you, like I said a bit ago, Broward County Sheriff's Office has policies. You know that you can see that uh, in in the standard operating procedures or what have you. They have policies where they're supposed to uh, use uh, these uh, this use of force is supposed to be their their last move, especially when it comes to dealing with. Uh, uh, in, inmates who have these mental health concerns. And uh, and even when they do have to use force, the policy calls for them to use the type of force, uh, only the type of force necessary to uh, keep the inmates safe, not the not the not the jailers, but, you know, to do everything they can to keep the inmates safe. And uh, clearly, uh, in Kevin's case, that did not happen because all of the, the, the captures, the captors are, are still alive and well. And uh, Kevin is dead. And another thing I think I've mentioned that, uh, you know, Kevin had a medical marijuana car. Right. So um, medical marijuana can be used, of course, for things like pain, but also to, you know, for, to help with mental uh, conditions. And so just the fact, not only is it sinister that the state of Florida gave Kevin a medical marijuana card and then arrested Kevin for having marijuana, but it's even more sinister that they uh, blame him for 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 his murder and his and, and, and kind of attach his mental condition to that blame. But they took the stuff away from him that he might have needed to keep himself uh, feel, uh, you know, feeling uh, better. You know, being in, uh, then he felt in that condition without uh, his medicine, and that's that's purely speculation on my part. But I just know that marijuana, you know, uh, people who use it uh, sometimes need it to help stay calm and the rest of it, and, and, and uh, less anxious and uh, less depressed. And they took that from him and then turned around, like you said, uh, and blame it, you know, blame this this viciousness, this murder uh, on him. So yeah, I, I hope that helps. Uh, yeah, yeah, it does. Definitely, definitely. Because, you know, uh, I see so many similarities between this case and the case of Sandra Bland, for example, another person whom uh, they they blamed for uh, her own death and the fact that from the beginning to the end, we saw that uh, she was doing nothing but fighting for herself, fighting for uh, her own life and, mm-hmm. and resisting uh, the terror. Uh, um, uh, so this does not only occur in Tampa, Broward County, or in Florida. We know uh, uh, what happened to Kevin is business as usual for police, sheriff departments, and any form of military occupation of African and colonial communities. So what are some other connections that you might make to this case, to other historical instances and cases that you might know of? I mean, of course, we can go as far back as the Rodney King thing. You know, uh, I think that's where most people became aware of the fact that police treat Africans a different kind of way in the street. I mean, a lot of us, I guess, at that time realized that Africans get treated a certain kind of way in the courtroom because more of us were going to prison than uh, white people were going to prison. And so that that 
that contradiction was clear. However, many of us didn't know that uh, you can just get beaten down by the police like a dog. You know, I guess, you know, people thought it had ended since the 60s and, you know, they saw the water hoses and the dogs because, you know, nobody really saw this kind of brutality that uh, emerged with the with the Rodney King beating. But then, uh, of course, you have the, the vicious murder of uh, Martin Lee Anderson um, down in... Uh, uh, can't, it was somewhere in Florida down south, and I can't remember the county right now. But a young man, fourteen years old, uh, in a what they oh, call oh, a boot oh, camp. Oh, oh, oh yeah, in the boot camp. Yeah. Uh, he was yeah. out. Uh, he was either out in like Pensacola or he yeah. was in Alabama. Yeah. But 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 yeah. I, I remember uh, about fourteen years ago, fifteen years ago, there was a rapper out of Alabama who, who who talked about him. But yeah, they had him in the boot camp and they beat him, right? Yeah. No. Well, no, no, no. They didn't beat him. They ran this African until he couldn't run no more. Just say run, run, run. He said, "I'm sick. I can't." You know, and he just run. They ran him until he passed out. And then when he passed out, uh, they just stood around and watched him die. You know, uh, the nurses there and everything, you know, uh, and the funny thing about that is in in Tampa, uh, the, the, the Hillsborough County uh, uh, State Attorney's Office was uh, you know, notorious for winning something like 99 percent of their cases. And so they brought the, the state attorney from this county to the other Florida county where Martin Lee Anderson was killed to try the jailers there. But they lost that case. They can always win when it comes to us, but they couldn't win uh, when they got down there to defend young Martin Lee Anderson's life. And, uh, yeah, you know, uh, so, um, you know, the, of course, big, big cases like Walter Scott, again, you know, uh, running. <laughs> Who else can we say, man? I mean, it's, you know, it's so it's so many these days. Uh, I've, uh, I've 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 kind of lost track. But um you know, Philando Castile, uh, you know, uh, that that murder was horrendous. I mean, right in front of his 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 baby's mother and his child, you know, when he's just trying to comply, you know, uh, just doing uh, what they call the right thing, you know. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Come on. It's, it's, it's too many instances for me to recall. But I guess the point prevails that this ain't this ain't something that happens just in Florida alone. Everywhere we are, I don't know of any place right now where any African is safe, where any African is safe in, in America uh, if, if they're not a part of organization. Because the people who are killing us uh, all the time are, are, are very organized and they get away with it all the time. I'll tell you, you want, you want to talk about a good example of the brutality that we see in this country. Um, there's some, uh, some people believe that all of these killings that occur in Chicago uh, are, are happening, that, that happen all, all in the African community are happening because African people are killing African people. I have another theory. And that theory is based on just watching how police move, watching police reports and seeing that police kill Africans all the time and lie about it. I've seen, uh, you know, just based on my profession, seen uh, reports in cases where police will uh, uh, put a gun on somebody just to kill them or uh, arrest them. And so in Chicago, in, in it's, it's, there are too many unsolved murders, <laughs> right, for uh, for these people who have all the helicopters, all the the the, the technology, 
um, you know, uh, the the guns, the computers, the fast cars, fast bikes, fast boats, not to be able to never solve nothing. You know, uh, they can't never figure out no crime. And the reason why they can't figure it out is because they're perpetrating the crime. They uh, they let these Africans sell all the drugs they want to sell and take all the money that they can. And then when the African don't want to give them no more money, they kill the African. And that's the kind of brutality that uh, that that goes unspoken about because many people don't 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 know when it's difficult to prove. But then uh, you see cases where uh, where police, like I said a bit ago, will will get caught. You know, like uh, like they did with the uh, I think who was it uh, Walter Scott or Freddie Gray? I can't remember who was in the van and who was in who was running and they the guy you know, threw the gun on him. Uh, but yeah, you, you see that happen all the time uh, uh, in, in, in this legal world. And what I mean by that is like, you know, when you have cases, you see it all the time with police setting Africans up. And so it's not no stretch of the imagination, imagination for me to believe that a lot of these un, so-called unsolved murders go unsolved because of uh, the fact that the police are actually killing us. I just remembered the name of that song that mentions Martin Lee Anderson. It's Let's Get This Paper by Rich Boy out of Alabama from 2007. Let's take a listen. track let's get this paper by rich boy you are listening to the people's war radio show produced by wbpu black power 96.3 fm in st petersburg florida our guest today is life malcolm uhura life um uh, we really appreciate this interview um i wanted to ask you why did you become an organizer a comrade i wanted to see uh people do better um i remember so I grew up in Tampa, like I said. My mother raised me in church, and so I grew up around a lot of African people. And she sent me to a private school with a lot of African people. So I just I just learned to love Africans. And um, 
I, I was actually in the United States Naval Academy Preparatory School in uh, 1990, 1992, uh, right around the time Spike Lee put out that uh, atrocious movie called X about Malcolm X. And um, at the time, I didn't know enough about Malcolm X to realize how terrible it was. I thought it was a good movie. And it inspired me to want to learn more about Malcolm. So I picked up the autobiography by Alex Haley, uh, you know, another thing I'm not so proud of, but did that and um, read the book and came across some other names in, in the book that made me want to read more and learn more about um, uh, these people. Because, you know, you hear about Charles Drew and, uh, you know, Harriet Tubman and Martin Luther King, but you don't hear about, you know, Dr. Clark, you know, John Henry Clark and uh, and others. I mean, you know, not even Elijah Muhammad or Malcolm X as much. So, you know, as I'm learning about the, or, and Marcus Garvey, as I'm learning about these Africans, you know, through reading uh, uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X and other books, I'm learning how important it is for us to uh, help each other. And the fact that we can, we don't, we don't need uh, white people's welfare programs. We can do for ourselves. And so um, I was, I was doing well in the Naval Academy preparatory school as far as academics. I was just there mainly because uh, for athletic reasons, but there were Africans who were struggling seriously, man, um, and failing the, the, the failing out of the program. And so I organized this study group and I, it's not that I, uh, you know, uh, it's not that I told white people they couldn't come. I just didn't invite no white people. I just know I didn't know them like that. And so I'm inviting these Africans to come and participate in the program. You know, let's study together. And so the first day we're supposed to study, um, the the battalion uh, executive officer shows up, busts up the study meeting, calls me into his office and uh, tells me that I'm, a uh, you know, some kind of segregationist and uh, writes me up, et cetera, makes me go see a psychologist because I'm supposed to be crazy. The psychologist called me a Garveyite, and they kicked me out of the Navy. And when they kicked me out of the Navy, oh. I ain't had... Hey, life, uh, 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 you, that's the same thing they did to chairman. Uh, when you read Why I Became Revolutionary, you, right, you right. know that's the, same, that's the same thing they did to chairman when chairman was in the Army. I remember him saying that, too. I thought it was funny when I heard the story, uh, you know, how, how, how similar it was to my own. Um, but, yeah. And so uh, when they kicked me out the Navy, uh, they sent me home in 1993. I decided I I didn't want to be around them no more. So in 1994, I went to Morehouse, you know, in the heart of Atlanta. And man, it was so many Africans that love. And I just wanted to do everything I can to help and, uh, uh, you know, just help us be better. I thought the way to do it was to, you know, uh, pass out food, uh, give out money, stuff like that. I had not understood that the problem one that we don't have money and food. Or that's, that's not the major problem. The major problem is we don't have power. And uh, I learned that when I got to Tampa, I moved back to Tampa in, two, in, in, in 98 or so, but it was around 2002 when I heard that this guy named Mukasa Dada, uh, also known as Willie Ricks, would be speaking at the Uhuru House in St. Petersburg. And I heard that Willie Ricks was the guy that uh, started that uh, that black power slogan. And so I had to hear what he had to say and had no idea that I was going to run into the man who uh, did that speech called Wolves, uh, uh, as he calls it, Licking the Blade, you know, uh, that I liked so much on that Dead Press album. And then after I heard Mukasa speak and heard the chairman speak, um, I, he, he made it clear what it is not only I have to do, but every other African who cares about Africans and African, African, African people um, that, uh, you know, we got to struggle. We got to fight for power. And so, um, yeah, after, after that day, man, it's been my mission 
you know, so I guess that's a long way to answer the question, man. Just loving African people and finally knowing how to help us uh, help ourselves. Yes. Uh, what made me become a revolutionary? Uhura, comrade. That's 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 great. That's a, um, you know, even similar to my story. Um, you know, I was at San Diego State and I got into some kind of activism and ran into uh, actually some Mexican comrades, part of Union del Barrio. Mm. Um, that told me about chairman and I ended up going to a meeting of theirs and I heard the chairman speak. And then, you know, we started organizing Africans in San Diego and found out that there had already been people organizing uh, down here around the Uhuru movement. And so we brought chairman out and this was like 2004. And, you know, this was a few years after, uh, you know, that dead president dropped and everything. So I, I really appreciate that story. Really appreciate that. Cause I think a lot of us um, have uh, similar stories and um, I wanted to get uh, back into these questions. Um, you know, we know that you're a legal assistant and you've even gone to law school. Um, what are some of your legal interests and how does your community organizing efforts unite with your legal studies? Great question, comrade Uhuru. Uh, so my, my legal interests are criminal defense and civil rights. We do a little bit more than that here at the firm, but that's our main thing, criminal defense and civil rights. And when I tell you, comrade, oh, you know, you asked the question that I, I, I failed to answer uh, uh, as thoroughly as I should have about the brutality, because the brutality, it just always in the form of killing us. It's also in the form of capturing us, you know, because some of us, you know, uh, don't get uh, killed. We just uh, have to stay in there tortured. And, you know, that's why I love the Black is Back Coalition's push for uh, to, to free political prisoners. And so, um, yeah, yeah, so that's, that's that's another part of the brutality, man. Uh, and you see it all the time. Africans, like yesterday, I had a case <clears throat> where this African who, uh, uh, you know, got in jail, uh, got got, a, got some kind of charge and went to jail. And when he bonded out, he didn't go back to court. The African managed to stay free for a year. and uh, But the African got captured again, right? And so now, you know, if, if you're out on bond and you get captured again, sometimes they, uh, the court and a lot of other uh, people are under the impression you don't have to, it, the court doesn't have to give you a bond, but that's not true. And so uh, we wrote a bond motion for our client so that he could get out of jail. And the before before we could say bond motion, the, the judge was like, motion denied. And so what, what the firm did was we wrote an appeal to, uh, uh, rather, a, a, a writ of habeas corpus to the appeals court and, uh, and demanded, based on case law, that the, uh, that the judge hear uh, our motion and grant uh, our client a bond because she has no choice. Case law in this jurisdiction demands that unless the state files a motion to keep you, uh, that... Uh, the, the court has to find reasonable conditions upon which to release you. And so we made the argument. And while we're making this argument based on law, the, the, the white woman who worked for the state attorney is trying to drum up all kinds of stuff about our client that has nothing to do with the motion and the fact that he deserves bond at this point in time to, uh, to convince the court that she should go against case law and keep the African in jail. And the African ain't done nothing violent. There's people out here killing people, uh, you know, that should go to jail like the police, right? Um, but uh, they want to keep Africans in jail and prison for a little bit of weed, uh, uh, you know, uh, maybe missing a court date and this kind of thing. And so uh, uh, the ability to write these motions 
uh, write these writs, uh, defend these Africans and get them out of jail, get, you know, see them go home. That's a uh, that's that's a big deal. And on the flip side of that, uh, you know, getting get getting getting these Africans to sue the police, uh, uh, whoever, uh, uh, whatever state actor uh, uh, does some kind of violence or brutality against them as an as a as a way to uh, attempt to deter this kind of violence and brutality is also, uh, you know, in the way of civil suits and civil rights actions is also uh, a powerful move because a lot of Africans don't have the resources to, um, to to hire a lawyer to protect their you know so-called rights and so they get you know uh, Africans are violated all the time and you know feel like they can't do anything about it but this firm uh, you know has been pretty good uh, at, uh, at encouraging Africans and not only encouraging them but you know working with them to make sure that they can uh, can fight them and uh, you know maybe slow them down just a little bit because they you know they don't they're scared of that that lawsuit you know they want them careers and pensions and so all that kind of stuff. So we—that's another way we attack. I don't know if I answered all the questions, comrade. I think I, I might, I might have, you might have asked me something else. But that's, you know, it's also tied to the, um, you know, the the organization as well. You know, um, pulling people into the process. People, people, a lot of people come to the firm uh, because they they're they're aware of my work in this community for the past, you know, twenty plus years, and so um, they 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 go hand in hand for me. Horrible, horrible, horrible. There are many different platforms being proposed to curtail state violence against the African community. People have demanded community review boards, body cameras, police abolition, and defunding the police. You are an advocate for Black community control of police, an African revolutionary demand. How would Black community control of the police be a better solution than uh, these other things? Well, comrade, we have to have control of our lives, uh, every aspect of our lives, including control over those people who get to walk around in our community and tell us what's good for us and what's not. You know, uh, only the bees know what's good for the beehive. And so they, you know, these outsiders uh, all the time walking around, uh, you know, with guns and the legal authority to kill us if we don't do what they say is just not good for the hive uh, in, in no way, shape, or, or form. So, you know, you can't, you can't uh, uh, reform it, fix it, uh, dress it up, you know, because it's colonialism if, if we ain't in control. And colonialism ain't never going to be good for the colonized. So I know that's a very broad answer. But what, uh, to, to make it a little tighter, um, you know, African people having control over who polices our community would uh, guarantee, you know, not, not just African people, but African workers having control over uh, who gets to walk around in our community uh, uh, with, with the, the, the ability to uh, deal with bandits and others who would do us harm would, would ensure that uh, those of us who um, uh, deserve uh, mercy those of us who deserve a, a second chance uh, get it and, uh, uh, and, and, and not uh, be killed or, or captured and, and, and uh, tucked away uh, forever for nothing. Um, at the same time, though, I'm convinced it's based on my leadership. 
and uh, uh, the, the leadership I follow. And, and based on what I know of the, 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 the revolutionary science behind the, the black community control of the police, those same African workers will make it uh, impossible for uh, Africans uh, who look like us, I call them bandits without badges. And, and even the Africans who look like us with badges, they count too. But we will make it impossible for them to uh, to uh, to do us harm. And uh, that's what we gotta that's what we gotta focus on. We we have to we, we have to build the capacity to make sure that these people can't can't kill us uh, or, or hurt us whenever they want to. And I believe that Af- that can only come from African workers. Uhuru. African working class leadership. Yeah. Uhuru, thank you so much for that, comrade. If listeners want to follow the case or lend their support to the campaign for justice for Kevin, what should they do? Uh, so there's a big push right now to get the, the video out um, uh, to the public. Like I said, the video, uh, the court released the video in, under very limited circumstances, but uh, there's a, there's a link and um I'm not sure if the link is on the Black is Back uh, website right now or not. And I'm not sure if we have the ability to get it on this on, on the website for uh, for the radio show. But I can get that link uh, to to comrades. And if people can uh, sign the petition, please do that. Um, there's a there's a phone number for Broward County, uh, the Broward County Sheriff's um, uh, Gregory Tony. And let me tell you, this, this Negro uh, Gregory Tony is is the sheriff there in Broward County. And he's the Negro who is saying that um, uh, he, he thinks that if if the tape is released, if the video is released, then uh, somehow that's going to compromise the safety and security of his people. But they didn't care about the safety and security, you know, Kevin's safety and security and the safety and security of so many others there. But, you know, there's a number of people can call and, and, and let this guy, Gregory Tony, know that one Tony don't stop no show. Um, the number is... I mean, just call and call. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, there might be an email. You can, you know, reach them by email. They make it hard uh, to find them. But if you go to BSO, uh, I think it's uh, uh, just just Google, you know, uh, BSO or Broward County Sheriff, and you can get all the information you need to contact them and, and agitate you know, uh, harass uh, uh, these people and say, release the tape, release the tape, release the tape, because uh, the public deserves to see uh, what, uh, what what these people uh, did to Kevin. We need to know uh, so that we can't hold them accountable, so that we can begin to practice building our capacity to keep ourselves safe, starting with them. And so, yeah, that's right now, that's the major thing that uh, that we can do. And of course, if you're in Broward County, uh, are close, you know. Yeah, do what you can to 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 protect the Kevin Desir, to to protect the Desir family, Kevin's family, from um, you know, from the you know any attacks that might come from the colonizer because they're fighting back. So you know, got to rally around them, and uh, uh, yeah, at the same time, like I said, make this push to release the tape. Uhuru, uhuru, yeah. Um, uh, you can find the. Uh, article at blackisbackcoalition.org, blackisbackcoalition.org, where I just went to, and you can find uh, the lead story on the website is about Kevin Desir and so many other um, issues. I want to thank Life Malcolm, a community organizer out of Tampa, Florida, uh, who was also on the legal team 
for uh, Kevin Desir. And uh, he is also a part of the Black is Back Coalition for Social Justice, Peace, and Reparations. So thanks again, Life. Uhuru, comrade. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been a profound honor. I appreciate it. Uhuru, Uhuru. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today was Life Malcolm. WBPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community and address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, healthcare, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit APEDF.org. Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast on wubp.podbean.com. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Onk, visit developmentforafrica.org. We'd like to thank our guest, Life Malcolm, for joining us today. We'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. The colonial virus is why I'm poor. The colonial virus keeps me at war. The colonial virus, yo, that thing gotta go. We don't wanna have to deal with this virus no more. So we say down with the colonial virus. Down. HIV, that's colonial virus. Juvenile Moyes, that's colonial virus. Domestic violence, that's colonial virus. Sexual violence, that's colonial virus. Horizontal violence, that's colonial virus. State violence, that's colonial virus. Gentrification, that's colonial virus. Mass incarceration, that's colonial virus. Deportation, that's colonial virus. The need for constant inebriation, y'all, that's colonial virus. Attacks on black women, that's colonial virus. Attacks on black men, that's colonial virus. Attacks on black children, 